Good morning, Conduit. How are you? Good. For those of you who may be uh, new or visiting uh, this morning, my name is Cameron. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we want to welcome you to Conduit. Um, Oh, I brought um, I brought with me my uh, little broken chain from broken chain keychain from last week. Uh, I don't know if you were here, if you've been here the last three weeks or any part of the last three weeks. You know where we uh, we we finished or we were in a a three week series on forgiveness. And uh, I do I want to thank Ryan O'Connor who put in a lot of time um, making these, doing a lot of doing a lot of welding for us, and then uh, I thank Benny for slipping all the rings on there for us, it saved my fingers, uh, a lot of work, and appreciate their, their hard work in that. But if you didn't get a keychain and you would like one, they're on the table uh, in the foyer there as you walk out. And, uh, you know, I, I, had, I had every intention this week of just completely starting a, a new series, and I do intend to do that, but... As I began to like press into where we were gonna go next, I uh, I don't know how else to say it other than like the last the last three weeks left me with forgive the expression but kind of like a spiritual hangover, you know, like where I I just felt I felt so drained and so tired. And so, like, emotionally just, like, emptied, like we had just, like you had just run a marathon, right? Like you just, like you had sprinted and sprinted and sprinted and sprinted, and it was kind of over, over, right? And you just fall down at the finish line and in exhaustion and feel like, man, this might take a little bit to recover from that. And I feel like, at least in my own in my own life, uh, my own my own process of forgiving uh, the people that I wrote on the card, um, you know the that the that the process of walking through that here I have a sample card here the process of walking through that act of forgiveness and then what we went through last week where we surrendered our unforgiveness to the Lord right and then. And then took, took the, um, the recollection or the reliving or the reviewing of all of the hurt that we constantly do in our lives. We, you know, we relive the hurt. We review it in our minds. We let it stew and sit and bubble and boil over and, and poison our soul and poison our relationship with God. Finally saying, you know, enough is enough. Uh, I don't want to be bound by those chains anymore. Uh, it's, time to, it's time to break free of that. It's time to let go of that. It's time to literally take the catalog of all of that hurt and watch the Lord burn it up. Um, and um, so I, 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 I experienced some breakthrough in, in my personal life this week, and I hope that I hope you did. Uh, I hope you did as well. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you've come to a place in your life in the last week of realizing how how great of a task forgiveness actually is. How, how there is a moment of decision 
that we walked through in the last three weeks, and in particular last week, a moment of decision where we decide that no longer are we going to hold on to these hurts. But there is also um, many moments of process then, where, where, where every time I am, re- I, I am reminded of that hurt, right, or every time that I'm, I'm tempted to remind someone else of it, or to remind the person that hurt me what they've done, or to run it over in my head again, run the tape back and relive those moments, that, that in those moments of, of wanting to relive all of that with whomever or even myself, that I return to the moment of decision and say, hey, you know, no, I have surrendered that to the Lord. I surrender it once again to the Lord, right? He has set me free from, from the chains of unforgiveness, right? And, and this thing ran around in my pocket all week. I don't know if you guys did something similar or, uh, or not, but it ran around in my pocket all week because there were many times where I felt myself wanting to revisit some of that hurt. Wanting to, like, sit in it again. Because the thing is, is that if we, if we return to it, right, and just kind of sit in it, then we're, we, we're, we're not forced to actually process through our hurt, and deal with it in a healthy way. We're just allowed to keep it and, and hold it. And until we say, and, and until, we, until we let go of it, right? Until we offer it to the Lord for, for both forgiveness and healing, right? There's a, there's a lack of control that we have then over that hurt, and it's difficult for us. But um, if you needed an encouragement, I will... I will give you an encouragement this morning that, that forgiveness, forgiveness is a good work. Forgiveness is a, is a worthwhile both decision and it's also a worthwhile process for you as you, um, as you, walk, as you walk through life. If you weren't here for those messages or you missed one or two or whatever, um, if you have a smartphone, we have a Conduit Ministries app. It's on the App Store or the Google Store or whatever. Just type in Conduit Ministries. It's a free app. All of our sermons are linked right there. Or you can get it on our website as well. Go back and listen to those. Um, I feel like God really did something in us, right? But as, as we consider, like, forgiveness and the continual process of forgiveness, I, 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 got, in the, in the, um, I got in the habit kind of this week of, of kind of looking forward in preparation for where my like life is going to be in the next, you know, few months even, as I let go of some of these things. Um, does anyone know what this Wednesday is? Ash Wednesday, right? Okay, good. We have a bunch of good Christians in the room tonight. Right? <laughs> Just kidding, of course. Right? All right. Uh, no, Ash, uh, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, all right? Which means that's also the beginning of a um, kind of a, a period on the church calendar, right? The, the big C church calendar that we call Lent. And sometimes um, you, you may think that well, Lent is, a, is something that uh, Catholics do, right? It's not something that we do here at Conduit, and I... And I, I will say this, that, that Lent is not, you're not going to find the term Lent in the Bible anywhere. You're not going to find, um, you're not going to find any of those ways in which we remember the Lenten season or the things that we do or say. 
Uh, Lent is a is a, a a season or a period of preparation. It is uh, something that that early church fathers and early church leaders kind of instituted in order to help and encourage Christians in the preparation um, up to Easter Sunday. It's a 40-day period. So this coming, this coming Wednesday will mark 40 days until, essentially, until Easter weekend. We have a, I have a slide up here with just a few details about uh, what Lent is, I think. Um, but uh, it's, meant, uh, it's meant to prepare us for this upcoming season. Here we go. A 40-day period beginning on Ash Wednesday or this Wednesday leading up to Easter Sunday. And it, it marks an intentional time for soul examination, uh, reflection, repentance, and fasting. And now, when I say um, reflection, we can often, uh, I, I want to I wanna categorize what we mean by reflection or clarify what we mean by reflection. This, this period leading up into Easter, this Lenten season, uh, when we talk about reflection, we're not just talking about like thinking, uh, like thinking back. That's a part of it. Like we, we run things over in our mind. We, we think back, but we also think forward. It's a, it's, but it's more of an active reflection. It's a set-aside period of time uh, for you and I to pursue the things that God is doing in our, in our lives. Uh, and this is, is modeled after... Uh, Jesus' time in the wilderness uh, at the beginning of his ministry, a 40-day period of fasting and solitude in the, in the wilderness, which prepared him um, to launch out in his ministry. And so the church has kind of adopted this, uh, adopted this period in a, in a similar fashion to be in repentance, to be in examination, self-examination, soul examination, reflection, and fasting to ultimately prepare us for the season of Easter, the, both, the de, both the day or the event of Easter and the, um, the season of Easter. Uh, now, when, I, when we talk about like what is the period of like preparation or what is this active reflection? Or what is this soul examination? Um, you know, I began to think like, okay, well, Lord, I'm having a hard time like making that applicable to myself. And I don't really know how this Lenten period or this like time leading up to Easter is going to be really any different from me than it ever has been before. Like, Lord, I, I want it to have meaning. I, I I want it. I want to understand like what you're trying to do or what I'm preparing for. I, I want I want you to reveal in me, right? That examine my own soul, right? Turn it inside out so that you can see it, so that so that I can see it, so that it can be worked on. And and you, do you realize how scary and dangerous of a prayer and desire that is? And and so part of like uh, part of I think is the like the Eh, Lent, yeah, I could take it or leave it type of thing, attitude, is that it, um, we typically see the build-up to Easter, the walking into the season of spring, as a time where we're coming, like, 
coming out of the darkness of winter, the coldness of winter, the horrible season that we're in, you know, if you don't like it, and into something brighter, happier, more like, more palatable to your, like, to your senses. Like, yeah, it's a good thing, but really what, what this period of preparation calls us to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do um, some spring cleaning in us. Some, some serious work, some serious examination, some serious, like, rebooting. And as we're going to see here in a few minutes in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness before he walked into a big season in, in his life, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a, uh, likely a very fun, happy-go-lucky, light time, but a time of, of real trial, a time of temptation, a time where, where, where his trust needed to be like 100% on his father and his father's will and plan for his life because with, without it, like it was just going to, without it, it was just going to fall apart, right? And so as I'm asking the Lord this, this past week, like, Lord, what do you want to begin to do in me? Like, what do you want me to, like, what do you want to be um, ever before my eyes so that you can deal with it, Lord? Uh, am I, like, the first thing that came to mind was this thing that we've been talking about the last few weeks is these areas of unforgiveness that I had been holding on to. And, um, and like, like, understanding that, the, that just because I made a decision to forgive some people from the hurt, that they have caused me does not mean that the process of it is over, that it's gonna, I'm going to continue to have to surrender that to the Lord until I'm finally released or, or broken free from, from all of that. And um, I was sharing with my small group on, on Wednesday night, just one of the things that like, one of the things that I, like that the Lord did in me even this week, when I was holding a particular unforgiveness against a particular person, right? Like, man, I did not want to let it go, right? Was because, um, was because I had been, have been so unwilling to admit how similar this person and I are. Like, it was easy to hold on to anger and to hurt. It was easy to hang on to that when I felt, when, when, when I was like, well, I'm really good and they are really bad. I am really righteous and they are really sinful. God really loves me and God is pretty angry at them. And it was easy to justify my unforgiveness towards them when I could hold on to all of that and, 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 and see myself as so much, so much better than they were, so much more worthy and deserving of forgiveness. But if there was anything that um, the Word revealed to us, the Spirit revealed to us in the last three weeks, is that, is that what God has forgiven in me is infinitely larger than what I am refusing to forgive in someone else. And so, and so until I was willing to come to a place of saying, um, yeah, I'm not unlike that person at all. In fact, um, there are parts of my soul, parts of my life, 
parts of my story that are worse? How could I hold on to my unforgiveness of them, knowing the depth and darkness of my own depravity? And I, I just wonder if we, continu- if, we, if we continually allow the Lord to examine the things that we're holding tight in our hearts, right? what he will reveal to us. And if we're, if we're responsive to what he reveals, what it will mean going forward in our lives. And that's my hope and prayer for this Lenten series. You know, it's not going to be like fish fries on Friday nights type of thing, uh, type of Lent, right? But, but, my, but my prayer is that it is an intentional season of reflection and soul examination, um, and then responsiveness to what God is revealing in your heart and what God is revealing in mine. Because you know what makes spring even more glorious? Is when winter was horrible. Right? The worse the winter, the better the spring. Right? And, 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 and the more... And the more honest that we, that we are with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? The more that we earnestly receive what the Spirit is like pushing into our lives, the more glorious a celebration Easter Sunday is. Because it's at that point when we have let the Lord put to death all that is death-worthy in our lives that we truly do get to experience the power of his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And, and, and so, and so that, that's, the, like, that's the power of Easter. Have you ever, you ever been in a, like, ever, ever sat in church on, a, on an Easter Sunday and been just like wholly unmoved? Like, yep, got that done for the year. Wore my suit. I'm going to wear a suit on Easter, by the way. Mark it on your calendars, all right? Got that done for the year, but, but then walked away being really unchanged. Maybe being inspired, maybe being excited about the day, but, but being really, like, I mean, honestly and seriously, like, nothing's different. No, nothing's real different, right? right? He says, e- Easter only makes a difference if, if we allow the Lord to put to death all of the things that he desires to put to death in our lives on the proverbial Friday, right? Good Friday. My prayer, my hope, um, not my hope, my prayer, right? My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would rush over this body with, um, with a holy conviction of sin, a holy conviction of our, our need for a savior, uh, a holy conviction to, to allow the Lord to put to death all of the sin that the writer in Hebrews says so easily entangles us, so that on Sunday there is a, there is a resurrection here that, that we can only attribute to the glory of God. Um, so, like I, like I said, um, that this this period of, like, examination. So, I, 
That's, those are really bad phrases, and I'm sure I'll come up with different ones in between now and when the series is over. But like this season of preparation that we're going to be in, soul preparation, um, I mentioned was kind of modeled after Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And that's primarily why, where I want to take us this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 4. There are some Bibles in your seats if you don't have one. There's a link to a Bible on our app, or you can use your phone. Now, the, now in, in Matthew's Gospel, um, the, the beginning of the fourth chapter records the beginning, essentially, of Jesus' earthly ministry. Meaning, where, you know, he's, he's been born, right? He's grown up. There's a big gap in there um, in between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, presumably where Jesus is growing up. We see John the Baptist preparing the way in chapter 3. And then uh, the end of chapter 3 is the baptism of Jesus. And then in the beginning of chapter 4, we see um, what uh, most of your Bibles would probably say, the temptation of Jesus. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, before we get too far into that story, we want to... We want to be able, I, I, want you to, I want you to look really, really quickly but closely at what comes after this 11-verse um, description of his temptation. Because what happens right after this moment is like the begin, like Jesus just like runs full steam ahead into the ministry that God has for him. That the Father has. In verse 12, Jesus begins um, to preach. It says, uh, in verse 18, he, Jesus calls the first disciples, Come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. In verse 23, Jesus um, goes into a ministry of healing where he's healing the sick and infirmed. And of course, at the end of chapter 4, at the beginning of chapter 5, we have a compilation of what is widely known as the most significant and expansive teachings that Jesus ever had, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's like this moment, these 11 verses, really seek to describe what happened right before something big happened in Jesus' ministry. Now, and, and maybe what it, what it means for us is a, a, an encouragement uh, to persevere. <laughs> an encouragement to persevere in the midst of testing, in the, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of difficulty, knowing, right, that periods of testing and temptation often precede or come before significant moves of God. And like, there's nothing insignificant about Jesus' like birth and his early life, right? But I think we can all agree that, like, the real gravy of the whole thing is when Jesus' ministry starts. Is when he starts to preach and when he starts to call disciples and when he starts to heal people, people and cast out demons and, um, 
and, and, and truly manifest the, the true presence and nature and power of God, right? But listen, what, what if we saw this as, a, as kind of a model for what happens, right? Right, right previous to or right before um, God does something really, really big. Because can we all agree that Jesus' ministry was like a thing that God did that was really, really big, right? And Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, kind of show a, a period of time that was really, really, really hard. Really, really, really difficult. So again, periods of testing, periods of temptation, often precede, often come before significant moves of God in our lives. See, God can use these significant periods of difficulty, these significant periods of, of trial um, or uh, temptation to, to purify, uh, to purify in us, to make us, to make us fit to receive the things that he is about to give us. I, I know that, man, I know I have shared um, this probably several times from this stage. I don't know. It's, it's been a while, right? Um, but I think many people here know that my, uh, my wife and I have, um, have, have, have tried to conceive children for 15 years, right? And have not been able to. We have five kids, so it might get a little confusing when I say that, right? But, um, but uh, for so long, right, for so long in our marriage, we, um, we struggled and, and cried out to God and were left confused and frustrated and angry and, and not able to have joy at those in our, in our lives who were who were, who were pregnant or who were expecting and like were excited about that. And it was just not a, not a joyful thing for us at all. It was a period of just like intense, really intense pain. We wanted nothing more than to be parents. But you ever, you ever look back on a situation where, um, where something like God, fi God finally came through, as you would think it? Like God finally came through and did the thing that you've been asking him to do for so long, and then you look back on where you were in life when you first started acting or asking for it, and you're like, thank you, Lord, for not giving me what I wanted when I thought I wanted it. Because I was not ready. There was so much that needed to be done in my heart, right? So much that needed to be done in my life. So much that needed to be done in our marriage, in our ministry, in, in everything before I was ready to receive the, both the responsibility and the gift of being a father. And if God had given to me a 
uh, a child when we, when we first thought we needed one, right? Or wanted one. or ever. We never would have been in a position that we're in now to, to adopt the five kids that we, were, that we did, right? And we would have missed out on that gift. And we would, have been, we would have been robbed of that blessing. And so, like, there is a period, there is a, there is a certain measure of trial, of pain, of temptation that, that purifies in us even our own desires and makes us both spiritually but also emotionally and mentally and physically ready and fit to receive the things that God has planned for us in the future. So God can use these significant periods of trial or temptation or pain in your life to, to purify your own heart, to make you ready to receive what he is about to do in the future when the season is over. But um, on the flip side, right? right I, we can completely, right? We can completely take those circumstances Right? And we can allow the enemy, we can allow Satan to leverage the difficult um, periods in our lives right? to distract us, to frustrate us, to derail us from both the direction that, um, that God is taking us and our own, our own hearts. Right? We can use those situations to become embittered to let anger and rage, uh, bitterness, right, uh, take root in our lives. We can, we can, we can live in, in doubt of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. We can, allow, we can allow what God is not doing to become an idol and to become a, a, a God in our life, completely taking our focus off of the actual God that exists, right, and just totally on what he's not doing, right? Thinking that, like, yeah, oh, yeah, we're, I'm focusing on God. I'm praying this through. I'm, I'm really focusing on God. No, no, what you're doing is you're complaining about what you're not getting, right? Forgetting that the point is not the gift, it's the giver, right? And Satan loves to use opportunities like that to completely distract us and frustrate us and derail what God wants to do in our lives, so listen, we must be aware. We must be aware that we have opportunity to grasp onto either the good that God is producing out of this difficult period in our lives or uh, to allow the enemy to use it as a big old fat lever to push us into distraction and frustration and anger and bitterness and whining. There is no spiritual gift of whining, okay? So we, we see that, that Jesus uh, was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Um, after fasting uh, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thanks, Matthew, Captain Obvious. Um, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, um, this is why in the, the typical Lenten season that Fasting is a spiritual practice that some people throughout the history of Christianity have taken up in this period of time, right? Because it's modeled after Jesus' own um, life. Fasting um, is this, maybe just a short little detour into fasting. 
Fasting is the willful denial of things, typically food, to sharpen our senses towards God. It's become, it's become awfully um, popular in, uh, I don't know, last five, ten years, um, to fast from things like TV or social media. Like, I'm just going to, this, this Lenten series, I'm going to fast from social media. Um, fasting has um, al- almost always, throughout the, course of, throughout the course of history, been an exercise where we, um, where we willfully denied our body something that it actually physically needs in order to sharpen our spiritual senses to God, right? And so there is, let's see, there, there's, there's nothing, I think it's a great practice to set aside social media. I think it's a great practice to, like, um, turn off Netflix once in a while, uh, to, to focus our, that, that time we would normally spend, right, doing that thing, um, so that we can listen to God, so that we can speak to God, so that we can spend more time in God's presence, but um, but the, uh, the 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 typical way in which fasting has been done has been in the denying our body or not eating food, and instead using that time to enter into an intentional period of prayer and uh, reading of God's word, like immersing yourself in God's word. And, and fasting without an increased habit of prayer, fasting without an increased um, presence in the word of God is really, a, it's kind of an exercise in futility. I want you to hear me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words wisely and be gentle, uh, but, but understand that, that when we fast, we do not just deny the the body food we we fast and pray we fast and pray um, all the time that jesus taught about fasting he he linked he he talked about fasting and prayer fasting and prayer fasting and prayer and so if we just fast without an increased discipline of either prayer or or immersion in god's word we're honestly just simply going hungry Right, because the, the point of fasting is not to just make ourselves physically hungry. It's about denying one sense so that we can increase the potential of other senses, spiritually speaking. So after Jesus spent 40 days fasting, do you think his senses were sharp to the voice of the Father? Yeah, right? I mean, a significant period of time of fasting. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, right? No YouTube, no Netflix, no Facebook, no Instagram, right? No, um, you know, no music in his AirPods, like, like, like nothing. Wilderness, no food, like, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, right? Just, just go. Go, go and, and, and be with the Lord. Do you think that after 40 days, like, 
that the, that the keenness and awareness of the voice of the Father to Jesus was probably about as sharp as it possibly could be. That, that Jesus' oneness with the Father, that Jesus' understanding of the Father's plan and will for his life and for his ministry was probably more significant and more clear at that point than it had ever had been before. Right? But here's a really significant thing about then what happens next. If we can all agree that Jesus' oneness with the Father, that the sharpness of Jesus' senses to the voice of the Father in his life was probably never more significant or clear as it was before, we would often equate closeness with the Father with lack of temptation or trial, right? Man, the closer I get to God, the easier life is going to be, right? The closer that I get to God... Um, the things that have, have always um, burdened me spiritually, they're, they're just going to all kind of pass away. They're going to they're wash off of me and the presence of God in my life, hearing the voice of the Lord, being at one with the, with the Father and His will for my life. Man, if I really press in, man, all of those things are going to go away. All of those things are going to get better. And we see the exact opposite here in Jesus' life, actually. That He was never... He was likely never as clear in his oneness with the Father than after 40 days of fasting alone in the wilderness. And it was at that moment, right, it was at that time that he faced what was, outside of going to the cross, likely his most difficult experience. Listen, just because you're being tempted... Just because you're going through a difficult period of your life does not mean that God is far from you. In fact, there is good reason to say that um, you can be extraordinarily close to the Father and also under extraordinary pressure from the enemy. It happened in Jesus' life. Sometimes it's the moments of deepest intimacy with God that we are tempted and tried the most significantly. So we go on here in verse um, 3. The tempter came to him and said after 40 days, right, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What do we see here? Well, um, what I see here is that Jesus is, um, listen, I skip breakfast, and if any of y'all get snippy with me afterwards, right, like, I'm hangry, okay? So, like, I skip breakfast, and I, I, need, a, I need a Snickers, Okay, um, <laughs> Jesus doesn't eat for 40 days. Um, there's a vulnerability there, right? There, there's a significant vulnerability that is exposed. And so what is the very first temptation that the enemy um, presents or brings to the table of Jesus? 
hey, I know you haven't eaten in 40 days. How about taking these stones and making them into bread? How does that sound? And if we see anything in this moment, we should see and know that the enemy will actively try to exploit our vulnerabilities in life. Actively try to exploit in us our vulnerabilities. The places, the people, the things that we are most vulnerable in. Where are you most vulnerable? Is your marriage, is your marriage vulnerable? Is your, is your relationship with your, with your kids, is it, is it vulnerable? Is your own personal uh, insecurity, lack of confidence or self-awareness, are you, are you vulnerable in the places of like, uh, not just something physical, but like, are you vulnerable to, you want to carry shame with you, right? Every bad thing that you've ever done, every, every mistake you've ever made, you just carry that with you all the time. You, you just carry in shame like a backpack and you just love it, right? You wish you could set it down, but shame, is, are, you, are you vulnerable? Where are the places that you are vulnerable at emotionally, physically, spiritually, like, those are, those are places where the enemy will seek to exploit you in your life. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil, verse 5, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. In verse 6, he said something very interesting to Jesus here. He'd said it once before, but he says it again. Well, if you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Listen, um, in in verse 6 here, uh, Satan, the enemy, right? He does something very specific to Jesus. He, he says something very um, specific to Jesus that, that we should be well aware of in, in, our own, in our own lives, right? Is that the enemy will consistently and constantly try to distort your identity in Christ. Well... Um, if you're really the son of God, like, hey, I don't, I don't really believe that you're the son of God, and I don't think you believe that you're the son of God. So if you were, you could just call on the angels, and they would come and, and rescue you. All right? And, and what the enemy always wants to do, right, is to distort the way that we see ourselves. Right? He wants us to see ourselves through his eyes, and he wants us to he wants to blind um, us from seeing ourselves through the eyes of our heavenly Father. You see, God has called us by faith in Jesus Christ a daughter. He has called you a son. He has called you his child. Right? That is not a title that you have. That is your identity. 
all five of my kids, right? Not, not, not bone of my bone, right? Not flesh of my flesh, but they have my last name. Their identity is with me as their father. That is who they are. It's not a label. It's not just a piece of paper. It's who they are. And what the enemy wants to convince us of is that you're not a son. You're not a daughter. You're not a child. You, you, are, you are an orphan. God. God doesn't want anything to do with you. He, God is going to abandon you. You're, you don't belong to him. So you don't have to act like you belong to him because you don't actually belong to him anyway. Or maybe from the last couple of weeks, right? Remember what our main, remember the triangle? Remember what our main identity there was? The main identity on the bottom was what? That we are, what is our identity in Christ? We are forgiven, right? That is who that is who we are. That is who God has declared us to be in, in 1 John 1, 9, that we are forgiven, right? But what is the, the enemy constantly wants to distort the identity of forgiven and wants us to only feel shame, right? Wants us, wants us to feel condemnation for what we have done. Wants us, to be, wants us to be riddled with the guilt of all the things that we, um, all the ways that we have walked away and turned our back on him. He could do, he wants nothing else than, well, if you were really a child of the Father, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't, you shouldn't, all right? Constantly wanting to distort our identity. Verse 8, again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he says in verse 9. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is the last thing for the last temptation here. Is this something that we would all be well aware, we should all be well aware of, is that the enemy always Overpromises <laughs> and always underdelivers. Temptation always overpromises and it always underdelivers. Uh, Satan was like, "Hey, I'll give all of this to you." Yeah. Uh, overpromise, Satan. It doesn't belong to you. So you can't give it away. And always under delivers. He promised something that was not his to give. And oftentimes temptation in our lives sounds a lot like this. You'll feel better when this will make the situation better if you just
it, you, you, need, you need blank, so it's okay to have it, or to take it, or to get it in whatever way. And then how many, how many times, uh, how many times, how many times have we conceded our will to the voice of temptation when it has promised us something and we discover that man way overpromised that and you way underdelivered the enemy always overpromises and always underdelivers it would seem it would seem that we are uh, quite powerless it would seem that in the face of temptation that we have um, very little. Man, I just keep, like, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming and just keeps coming and just keeps coming. And you're right, it does just keep coming. But we and you, listen, are not powerless against temptation. You are not powerless in your moment of trial. You are not powerless when the devil is pressing in on every corner of your life. But I want to be very, very, very clear. Our weapon against the power of temptation is not our own willpower. Man, I just need more willpower. I just need to be stronger. I just need, you know, I just need more um, I just need more, like, I just need to make a better decision. I just need, I just need more, more strength. Our weapon against the tool of the enemy to exploit our vulnerabilities, distort our identity, and overpromise on what sin and temptation will bring is not our own willpower. Our weapon is the Word of God. That is the that is, the, that is the weapon that we have. If you look at the way that, what happened with Jesus, right? Three times he was tempted. Three times he addressed temptation with what? Not his own. I don't need to eat. I'm strong. I am powerful. I can do this. Or, um, uh, you you can't challenge my identity. Watch this. Right? His own, like, pride puffing up. Right? Or, yeah, man, uh, having all of that, being in charge of all that looks... Yeah, consider that, right? No, his answer at every turn in the face of temptation was not his own willpower, was not his own decision-making. It was simply to declare in the midst of deceitful words coming from the enemy, to declare the truth of God into the moment. He combated the lie with truth. He combated the deceitfulness of the enemy, the scheme of the enemy, the plans of the enemy, by proclaiming what was true from the very beginning of time, the word of God. When the enemy attempts, lies, we use truth. Jesus defeated temptation in verse 4. It is written, 
man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. In verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. That our weapon in the midst of temptation is the word of God. Now, I am guessing that if you have any experience in church whatsoever, if you've gone to church for any amount of time, any period of time, maybe this is your first day ever in church, and if this is going to be news to you, and that's great, right? But, but, but I'm guessing that if you've ever sat in church before, you've heard these words like uh, about how critical right, a life in, in Scripture is to your Maybe, with, maybe they use generalities, right? Your spiritual health, your, your walk with Jesus, your discipleship, your, um, your, your, your growth in, in the Father, or just your own personal spiritual knowledge. You've got to get all the information so that you have all of the answers. And look, I'm not here to tell you anything different than you have probably been told a uh, hundred times if you've sat in church at all, right? about what is necessary in order to defeat the temptation is that your heart, your mind, your soul must be saturated in the Word of God. If you are, if you are sick of living under, in, in the powerlessness, in powerlessness against temptation, of the enemy exploiting your vulnerabilities, distorting your identity, about sin over-promising and under-delivering in your life, it is likely because your mind and heart has no weapon with which to fight the deceitful lies of the enemy. And until you are, until you get there, until you work at it, until you take everything that this is and get it in here and get it in here, you are constantly going to be at the whim of just how strong your own personal willpower is. And let me tell you, I am weak. But he is strong. Amen. Like, well, what does that even mean, Pastor Kim? Like, I don't even, like, what does it even mean? How do I even, like, okay, get in the word more. Uh, what then? What next? Listen. Uh, it seems to me that, that Jesus was like, uh, the enemy spoke, and Jesus was like, nope. The enemy spoke, and Jesus was like, nobody, nope. Right? Like, he had it, like, right here. Right? Almost like he had memorized it. <laughs> right? Like his mom made him do flashcards growing up. Right? <laughs> and we think, well, oh, that's so elementary, and that's so, like, Sunday school. And I don't be walking around with flashcards in my back pocket or some stupid chain in my pocket to remind me of my unforgiveness. Like, fine, bro, do your own thing, right? Like, your thing obviously is working great for you, so just keep doing nothing, all right? Or you could say, hey, maybe it's important for me, even in small bites and small snippets, to say, Lord, I want to get your word in my heart. I want to get your word in my life. I want to get your word in my mind. And so, 
yeah, I'm going to pick three verses this week, and I'm going to memorize them, and I'm going to write them down on note cards. I'm going to put one on my mirror above my sink, and I'm going to put one on my steering wheel. I'm going to put one on my computer screen at work. I'm going to put one on the dash of my truck, or I'm going to put one here. I'm going to put one here. I'm going to write it on a note card. I'm going to put it in my pocket. I'm going to carry that thing around with me every day. So every time I touch it, I'm forced to read it and memorize it so that when the schemes of the enemy come assaulting on my life, I have an immediate response from the word of God. And look what happens in verse 11. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. Listen, I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what your vulnerability is that the enemy consistently exposes in you, right? I don't know what type of identity that he's trying to put on you and distort. I don't know what he's promising you by walking in a certain way and doing a certain thing, but I do know this, right? There are a few, um, the, there, there are a few Bible verses that uh, I am going to commit to memorizing this week, okay? And these are just examples, right? And so maybe we commit to memorizing them together. And next week we'll, um, we'll do a test. I'll call on someone and they'll have to say it all out. Right? <laughs> uh, first, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, right? From what, Je- from what Jesus himself said today, right? Uh, hey, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like, what is that? Like, look, I'm not fasting this week, so how does that help me? Like, where do you put your trust? Where do you put your trust? In your your hard work, right? Your job? Oh, my family, my my wife will provide for me. My my husband will provide for me. My my kids, they're like my source of strength, right? Where 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 do you who do you trust? This is not a statement about food, right? This is a statement about hey, hey look, bro, I don't need your bread. Everything that I need comes from my Father. Everything that I need. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When I am am tempted to not trust, uh, number two, Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, man, I'm so worried about it. I'm so anxious about it. I'm just like, I'm riddled with fear. Um, I'm like paralyzed by the what if. I'm paralyzed by like what's going to happen. I just have nowhere to go. Um, Verse 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Man. I really, that's really a thing that I would have worried about in the past. Why am I not worrying about it anymore? Well, um, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is guarding your heart and guarding your mind in Christ Jesus, right? That's why you're not experiencing anxiety anymore. That's why, that's why there's not that anxiousness or that fear building up, because every time that fear, every time that anxiety tries to rush in, hey, hey, look, um, uh, with prayer and thanksgiving, I'm going to make my requests known to God, right? And as soon as I'm tempted to be anxious, as soon as I'm tempted to be fearful, man, Philippians 4, 6-7, boom, right there. 
man, I'm just walking around with so much shame, so much guilt, so, so much condemnation about what I've done in life, right? Distorting our identity, distorting your identity, distorting your identity, distorting your identity. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. You're not going to convince me that, I'm, that, that God is ashamed of me. You're not going to convince me that God is condemning me. You're not going to convince me that I am somehow an orphan and not a son, not a daughter, not a child of God, not forgiven. Because, listen, Satan, the word says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, and the devil will leave you alone. Right? Because he has no response to truth. No response. So as we go through this season, right? Um, as we go through this season, my prayer, let me pray it over you as the worship team is coming back up. Heavenly Father, as, as we prepare our hearts to be moved by you, Lord, as we prepare our souls to be stripped clean and washed in the blood of Jesus, as we walk through this, these next 40 days approaching the Resurrection Sunday, Lord, would you reveal all that you're putting to death? Lord, would you wash over us by your Holy Spirit, convicting us, Lord, by the truth of your word? Lord, and may you, would you plant that word firmly and deeply within our heart and soul? That as Jesus did, your word would become a weapon against the scheme of the enemy to expose our vulnerabilities, to distort our identity, and to promise us things that he cannot deliver on. Lord, we want to believe in you. We want to hear your truth. Lord, would you drown out the lies of the enemy with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.